going to be more important than ever. Um, we'll see what happens in November. But to survive at home, three main things. We'll cover these things and we'll be out of here. Um, bullets, bunkers, and beans. Okay? If you're going to survive at home when everything crashes, when it hits the fan, whether Trump or Hillary, either way, you're going to need bullets, beans, and bunkers. Okay? So... We'll pray and then go get ready for lunch. Okay, sound good? Man, that'd be fun if we really just talked about bullets. Like, hey, Th- thank you, ladies. Thank you, ladies. Um, anyway, so that's not what we're going to talk about. Uh, but let's do this. Let's pray and we'll for real um, jump into the breakout. Lord Jesus, love you. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love towards us that frees us to be able to love you. I pray that you would give us uh, just a clear mind to think about these things this morning. I pray that your spirit would meet with us, guide us through this conversation um, that for some will be painful and difficult. And I pray that you give me wisdom and and clarity to speak truth correctly um, for your glory. And that ultimately, Jesus, that you'd be exalted and we'd be drawn to you in Christ's name. Amen. So, for real, the idea is uh, surviving at home. This breakout is, you know, centered around the idea that the reality is that for most of us, just most humans, right? Like, we're not coming out of the ideal home life, you know, as children. We're, we don't have the, the ideal, like, the, the intended purpose of being raised in a godly home with a mom and a dad who are together, who love the Lord, who love one another, and who are training their children in following Jesus, living a righteous life. Like, for most of us, that's not the picture. Um, I know it wasn't for me growing up. And so whether for you that, you know, I mean, this could be a multitude of examples, right? If we went around the room and everyone, you know, shared a little bit about their story, everybody's story would be unique to them, right? So for you, it could be, on one side, that man, for you, you're here because hey, you want to follow Jesus. You want to you honor Jesus with your life, um, but your parents don't. You know, your, your, your parents aren't pursuing Jesus. Um, they maybe, maybe they just don't care that you go to church. They don't care that you went to youth camp. They think that's great, that's fine, but that's separate. That's your deal. They're not following Jesus, and so that's difficult. Maybe for you, it's that, man, they, they're hostile against the gospel. They don't that they, they, they don't want you following Jesus. They didn't really want you to come on this trip. They don't support you going to church. You know, maybe it's that they claim to be Christians, but, man, their life doesn't look anything like what it should. You know, maybe divorce has come into your home and, and, and ripped apart your family. And even though divorce is normal, even though it's normal in our country, it doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it any easier for you going through divorce just because it's normal. Man, that that rips apart part of who we are. That, that when our family is broken, man, that's going to have long-lasting effects as being a child of divorce. Man, maybe for you it's way to the other extreme where your home is a dangerous place, where there's physical violence. Like you're physically assaulted in your home. You're, you're abused in your home. Maybe it's verbal, emotional abuse, which can have the longest-lasting effect on you. Maybe it's sexual abuse. Maybe your home is truly a dangerous place. I mean, there's so many things in between, right? Like that you're being, you know, raised in a home that's divided. So you spend 
your time split between parents. Maybe you're not with your parents at all. Maybe you've gone through the foster system or you've been adopted or you live with your grandparents or an aunt or uncle or, you know, friends of the family. And, and there's so many there's so many situations that no doubt are represented in this room. All of them difficult, right? And all of them unique to you. And you don't have to feel bad if you're, you know, like, well, you're struggling, but mine's not as bad as maybe somebody else's. No, your situation is, is, is all you know. That, that's your trial. That, that's, that's what you're going through. Man. And, and the pain and the sadness and the potential anger that comes with that, man, that's real. That's real. But, but ultimately what I want to do in the breakout is move us towards the hope that we have in the gospel. The hope that we have in the gospel. So not just that we would survive. Um, I didn't pick that title. But not just that we would survive in our homes, like man, that, but that we would serve the Lord. That we'd be faithful to Jesus. And that we would grow in our faith. And that you'd come out of your home ready to, to start a whole new legacy for your family. And then that you'd hit the reset button on what it means to be a godly man, a godly woman. And this is huge. Like, we've got to do this. Like, this, is, this is so huge because the reason why coming out of a broken home or a dysfunctional home, the reason why that can be so damaging is because God has designed us the way that he made us is that we basically get like a blueprint from, for life as children in our home. Like you, at the earliest age, you get a blueprint put, it, put on you by watching your mother. You learn from your mother or the, the woman that had that role in your life. You'll learn from her what it means to be a woman. What it means to be a, a mother and a wife. That's, that's, that'll always be your default. Guys, that, that we learn what it means to be a man, to be a, a husband and a father, how to talk to a lady, treat a lady, how to discipline kids. At the earliest of age, we're taught that, and it's like this blueprint that gets put in our mind and our soul. And so it's huge. It's huge that we recognize where that blueprint has been perverted and twisted by sin. Where it's been messed up, where it's not, where it's, because that's a good plan. Like God's design is good, right? God's plan is good. The home is, it was a great idea. Still is. But just like everything in our world, when sin entered, when sin entered, it brought death. It brought corruption. It perverts, it twists. The enemy wants to use all that God has meant for good for evil. But the reverse is true too, right? Y'all know this. Do you know this? That God works all things together for good. For those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. That what the enemy meant for evil, God's going to use for good. That that's who he is. So, I try to always wait till the end to say this, but I can't help it. It's too good. Here's the deal. Our God is a savior. Our God is a redeemer. The one true living God, the God who spoke the universe into existence, who sits enthroned right now with nail-scarred hands, victorious over sin and death and hell. How he has revealed himself primarily to us is as a savior, a redeemer. He loves to take what is broken and hurt, and he loves to fix it and heal it. That's our hope. That's our hope. Does that sound good? We both like that. Awesome. It's so good. The gospel's so good. Man, it's so much bigger than our pain. It's so much bigger than our circumstances. And what will free us, man, if we can see past the pain and the hurt and what you're going through right now in your family, if you can latch on to the sovereign hand of God, if you can see his promises over you, 
man, it'll set you free. Will it make it easy? No, it's going to be hard. But you can grow and you can see eternal purpose in the difficult circumstance that you're in right now. So that's our goal. So I'll say this. What, what, does, what does the Bible say to a young person being raised in a difficult home? Because it speaks to it. What does the Bible say to a young person who's being raised in a broken home, dysfunctional home, split family? What does the Bible say to us? It says the same thing it says to the, all the ones that went over to the other breakout. It says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. All right, so he says, obey and honor your parents, right? Obey and honor. So what's the difference there? We know that. Obeying is easy, right? At least the idea of it. (laughs) To obey means do what they tell you, right? Do what they tell you. That should be the easy part. Uh, The honoring is the really, really hard part, right? So the obeying, obeying means do what they say, and this is your parents... Uh, guardians, grandparents, whoever you live with, whoever has authority over your life. Man, maybe for you it's difficult because you live with your mom and your stepdad and your dad's not cool with your stepdad. And so, well, do I obey that joker? Well, uh, what does that look like? And it's difficult. The Bible just says obey and then honor. Honor. To show respect. It's like I, I've, got a, I've got three kids and they'll obey me. They'll obey me, but they don't always honor me while they're obeying me. Right? Like I can say, y'all need to go clean your room before you go outside and jump on the trampoline. And they may like start heading towards their room, but they may do it with like a <sighs> Are they obeying? Technically. Are they honoring? Oh no. Are we gonna have a conversation? Yes. It starts like this. Go sit on my bed. That's how that conversation starts. Then I never mind. And then we jump on the bed and set the trampoline. Um, so this is huge. I mean, and let me, let me say this, to obey and honor, because there's a promise tied to it, that it may go well with you, that you would have a long life. The idea is that your life would be good. There's a promise tied to that. And you're thinking, man, you don't know my circumstance. You don't know my family. You don't know my home life. And I don't. And I'll say this, that verse, to obey and honor, that's impossible for you. That's impossible for you. It's impossible for you to live that verse out. If you take three words out of it. If you remove three words from that verse, then I wouldn't even, like, I wouldn't even bring it up. It's impossible. But what, what three words am I talking about? In the Lord. Man, it's a game changer. Because the reality is, like, for you and me as Christians, if you're a child of God, and, and I'll come back to, like, if you're not, But, I mean, if you're a child of God, when it says obey and honor, ultimately, ultimately, who who, who are we obeying when we we do this? The Lord, Jesus. Who are we really showing honor to? Jesus, God. And he's always faithful. He's always good. He's never abusive. He's never unfaithful, right? He's worthy. He's eternally worthy of our obedience and our honor. And that's who we answer to primarily. 
So even that perspective will help us realize what he's calling us to. What does it mean for us to be in a broken home? What does it mean for me to be a member of this family? Oh, I still have to obey the Lord. But not just like to him, because it says obey in the Lord, in the Lord. Here's the beauty of this passage. Here's why it's worth talking about right out of the chute here, is that what God's calling you to do, he's not calling you to do it on your own, in your own power, with your own wisdom. You figure it out. God's not saying that. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm going to walk through it with you. It'll be his strength, his wisdom, his power on display in your life to give you the ability to obey and honor, to give you the mind and the heart to be able to do this. And the most difficult of circumstances. Man, it's huge. It, re- it does two things. One, it frees us to love and honor. And it frees you from excuses. It frees you from some temptation. Because, okay, so here's my story. Here's my story. The home I was raised in, man, uh, my mom was a believer. She had become a believer when she was 16. Her dad passed away. And uh, she became a believer actually at, her, at his funeral. But then they moved and no real discipleship. Well, she, she met my dad. She was 18 when she met my dad. And they got married pretty quick. Um, Conti's are devastatingly handsome. And it was just like she didn't have a chance. And all these mocking laughs today. What in the world? <laughs> sometimes things are funny and sometimes just making an obvious statement. So anyway, somehow he tricked her into marrying him, marrying him, and man, well, he was violent. From the beginning, he was violent. With her, uh, he was abusive, and then with me and my brothers, uh, I have an older brother, especially the two of us, he was, he was violently abusive, he was verbally abusive. Um, man, it was just hostile home, you know, like the kind of thing where I, my earliest memories are his van pulling up from work. And everyone would find somewhere to be, something to do, to try to stay out of his way. And I say that, man, I love my dad, and, and God has redeemed that relationship, and uh, it is a work in progress. And But I, I love him, I spend time with him. Um, but it, it was violent. And in my home, uh, my parents ended up divorcing when I was 11 years old. And even though I was very much in favor of getting out of there, that divorce still has... I mean, it's ripping apart something that wasn't meant to be ripped apart. So whatever causes the divorce, whatever justification there is for the divorce, it doesn't make it any less painful and drastically life-changing for everyone involved. And and also as a child in in, in my home as a kid, I was molested by an uncle. And uh, when I eventually came forward and spoke about it, it was just kind of like, Immediate outrage followed by deadly silence. And it was just painful, just painful stuff. And I think, man, I was so angry. I was so hurt. And, but here's what I did. And here's what I want to warn you against. Is for me, you know, and I didn't think this in the front part of my brain, but how I began to live it out was I used all that pain, all that anger as an excuse just to do what I wanted to do. Just to do what I wanted to do. To pursue what I wanted to pursue to make me feel good. Man, and all that other junk, that wasn't mine to own. And all the stuff that's been done to you, that's not your fault. You don't own that. You won't answer for it. But what I did with it, man, that's on me. That's my sin. I, I used that instead of turning 
to the overwhelming grace and love of Jesus that eclipses and, and overshadows all the evil that was done to me, all the love and the mercy and the grace and the power that was available to me. I rejected that and I, I tried to treat my own wounds. I tried to deal with it myself and it led to sin and it led to more corruption. And I want to warn you against that. Man, when Jesus says like in this passage, when it says in the Lord, man, that is your hope. That's your way of escape through the temptations for, this, for the pain and the anger and the, the, the brokenness Man, just to lead to more corruption in your life. For it to become a snare and a temptation to do what you want to do. Live how you want to live. Seek pleasure where you want to seek it. Man, you don't have to do that. The power to live a holy life that's available to you in Jesus. To live the life that you were created to live. To be the man or the woman that God created you and saved you to be. That's available to you in the Lord. Man, and He's ready to walk through it with you. So it says this, that it may go well with you, that it may go well with you. So if you obey this, man, you get pretty much the life that you want. And you want to be a millionaire, obey this and you'll be a millionaire. You want to marry the most attractive person on the planet, obey this and it'll happen. So my wife was an awesome kid. No? Anybody? All right. Jeez. <laughs> you know, I tell you really personal stuff. I got to make it, you know, it's like, can't be all sad. Um, is that what the verse is saying? No, right? That it may go well with you. Now, the, the verse we quoted earlier from Romans, that God works all things together for good for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Well, here, here's the catch. You and I don't get to determine what it means for our life to go well. You and I don't get to determine what it means for our life to go good. And then that, that, that's a good thing, right? Like I got, um, I told you I've got the kids. I got three kids, an eight-year-old, a five-and-a-half. The half is very important, right? Did y'all know that? Don't forget to say the half. I forgot, and my daughter tried to punch me in the stomach, but she's short and has a bad aim. <laughs> yes. Oh, you got that one. Okay, good. Yeah. Five-and-a-half, and then a three-year-old boy. And so my wife's got this journal that she's, uh, so it's like, I think it's like once a week she, she'll ask them each a question and then she writes down their answer and then you do it again when they're like five years older and then again when they're five years older and then you compare them and you're like, oh look, you were cute and dumb, now you're not so cute but you're smart and that'll be fun one day. And uh, so she asked my, my middle kid, she says, here's the question of the day, she says, if you could change, this five and a half year old. If you could change anything about the world, anything, like, right, like, blank check, you can change the world, what would you do? Man, and she stared off into the corner. She's got these gigantic blue eyes and just mischievous grin. And she, you know, she, her eyes are just like, she looks like she's plugged in somewhere. And she finally, like, turns and she says, if I could change anything about the world, boys would never be allowed to wear shirts. <laughs> Moan answer to answer that one. <laughs> and I said, why? <laughs> why? Just because mostly that would be funny, but like, uh, it, we just laughed. But I thought, 
I mean, five and a half, right? Well, I mean, in her little world, and actually what she, she later, I, I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, I meant to say that they would always have to wear shirts, but you guys laughed, so I went with it. But she was upset because, like, we've been taking her swimming a lot, and all the boys are swimming shirtless, and she's got to wear, you know, like a top and or like a rash guard or whatever. And it's like, oh, okay, so she, she thinks, yeah, not fair. Um, so anyway, but like in her little world, right, like in her narrow perspective of life at five and a half, for the world to be right, boys would wear shirts when they swim. AIDS, you're on your own. Cancer, not that big of a deal. Boys should wear shirts when they, that's it. That's what she had, right? And I think, yeah, that's silly and it's funny, but that's where we are. Like most days of our life, if I said, man, if there's a promise in the Bible that you would obey and you'd get the life that you want, what would your life look like? We'd all have our ideas, right? I would have a huge house with cool vehicles and whatever, name it. And, but, man, God knows. That's our silly little temporary perspective of what it would mean. And for you right now, you would think, man, I just went out of the pain. I just went out of this violent home. I want my mom and my dad to be back together. And God, if you love me, if God, if you're real, God, if you're all powerful, why doesn't all this happen? And we don't get an answer to all those questions this side of eternity. But God knows this. Here it is. You're looking at your life through this narrow, limited perspective. And God, the God of the universe, sees your life for who you're going to be for all of eternity. And he knows the plan that he has for you. He knows what he wants to use in your life to mold you and shape you into the image and the likeness of Jesus so that you'll have this eternal glory, fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore without end. Right? That's how he sees your life. And you and I can't comprehend that right now. We can't. We don't see it. We don't get that. We don't have an eternal perspective on our life. But what we can have is a faith and a trust in the God that does. Man, do you see that? Does that make, it, does that make your situation easy? No. Man, that is hope that you can hold on to. Man, that there's an infinite God. And His name is Jesus. And He has nail-scarred hands. And that's huge. Because that means that He isn't blind to your pain. He's not blind to your situation. He doesn't sit in heaven aloof to what you're going through. The nail-scarred hands means that he entered into your pain and your suffering and your trial in the deepest possible way. He did it by going to the cross and dying underneath the weight of sin and going into death so he could rise again victorious so that no matter what you and I go through, there's always hope. There's always redemption. Man. So, what Jesus wants to do is rewrite that blueprint, right? That blueprint that we get imprinted on us at the youngest age. Jesus is in the business of rewriting that. And he's going to do it a few different ways. One of the ways he's going to do it is through Scripture. As you meditate on who Jesus is, as you meditate on Scripture and you read Scripture and you memorize Scripture... Man, it's going to begin to change that blueprint. You're going to, it's going to change your mind to who you're supposed to be. You'll see God differently. You'll see yourself differently. You'll see this whole world different. It'll change the way you view your circumstances more than it'll change your circumstances. It'll change you. 
through prayer, through time spent with them, hey, this, this is huge. Man, prayer is so undervalued for whatever reason, it seems like. I say it seems like because it just seems like I don't know many people who just pray hard, <laughs> pray long. Man, prayer is huge. Talk to Jesus. Talk to God. I'll say this. Man, for some of you, I mean, maybe for all of us, listen, God is not scared for you to come to him with your questions. Those questions we asked earlier, God's not scared for you to come and say, if you are all powerful, why, why don't you change this? If you really love me, then why did my parents do X, Y, and Z? He's not afraid of those questions. He's not afraid of your hurt. He's not afraid when you're angry. He's not afraid of it. He's bigger than it. He died and rose so that, so that his throne becomes the mercy seat where we can draw near to receive grace and mercy. Right? The writer of Hebrews says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy for our time of need. When we approach him as his child, I mean, we need to do it with respect and honor because he's God. But what he has for us is grace and mercy. So bring your questions. Bring your hurt. Talk to him for real, right? You don't have to put on an English accent and quote the King James Version of the Bible to get his approval. He wants you to come and talk to him, to be real with him. And tell him how you're feeling. Tell him what you're experiencing and ask for his wisdom and his grace and his strength to be able to deal with it. Man, I'll change you. It'll change you. It'll grow your faith. It'll give you the strength in the Lord to live in your home. So I said that I said, you know, we're called to obey and honor. Called to obey and honor. Well, what about this? What about if your parents like tell you to do things that the Bible tells you not to do? What if they tell you not to do things that the Bible tells you to do? What about that? Who do, you, who do we obey then? Let me be real clear. I'm talking about like black and white, the Bible says to do this, and they tell you not to. Black and white, the Bible says don't do that, and they tell you to do it. What about that? You obey the Lord. You obey the Lord. You follow Jesus. There's nothing else said in Scripture other than you obey the Lord. In fact, there are times in Scripture where it tells us, like, don't go after your parents. Don't live like them. Listen, this is uh, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 18 through 20. And the scenario here is it's the children that, you know, remember the generation that God brought out of Egypt, rescued them out of Egypt, mighty signs, right? Rivers turning to blood, frogs jumping on everybody's head, hail coming down, death of the firstborn, whoo, through the Red Sea. They see all that, and what does that generation do? Now they don't trust God. They don't honor God. Crazy. And God says this to their children. Verse 18. And I said to their children in the wilderness, do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor keep their rules, nor defile yourselves with their idols, their false gods. I am Yahweh your God. Walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and keep my Sabbaths holy that they may be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am Yahweh your God. And he's saying, no, man, they're, they're not obeying. They're, we're worshiping false gods. Don't follow that example. You follow me. Now listen, does this mean you go home and you blast your parents and you tell them what a crappy job they're doing and how wrong that? No. Obey and honor, 
That's default. That's the foundation. But when they tell you to disobey Scripture, not like the feelings that you get that you blame on the Holy Spirit, right? Like, I want to be clear here. Because this isn't like you get to go home and your parents say to do something and you say, God told me not to clean my room, says the Holy Spirit. No, don't. I went to a Christian university, okay? I went to a Christian university. Every guy on my dorm at some point said to me, God told me, what was the rest of the sentence? Do y'all know it? God told me I'm going to marry that girl until next week when God is now telling me I'm going to marry that girl until she rejects me. And then God told me to marry that girl until I find a girl dumb enough to marry me, right? Like, man, there's so many guys, they blame the Holy Spirit on, don't do that. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't say, well, God's told me that I'm, I have to go on this mission trip. And if I obey and honor your parents up until the point where they tell you to disobey the black and white, clear teachings of the Bible. Y'all following me? That's what I'm talking about. Listen to Luke 12, 51 through 53. Uh, no, this is actually Matthew. You can go read that one. That's a great passage. They're all good. Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Jesus speaking, do not think that I have come to bring, a, to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He's saying, man, what's Jesus teaching here? Because in another place he says, whoever doesn't hate his mother and father, he's saying our allegiance ultimately is to Jesus. That's that's, that's who you now are. Your identity, if you're in Christ, what's most true about you is not your identity that was given to you biologically or in the home that you grew up in. Your identity is now who you are in Christ, what the Bible says to be true about you. And that's where you find your purpose and your hope and your sense of security and love and peace and who you are and how you're to live is in Christ. Now, here's the awesome thing. Here, here's, I want you to get this. I mean, if you'll pursue Jesus and you'll love Jesus, and you'll read Scripture, and you'll pray to Jesus, and He'll begin to rewrite that blueprint, and it's going to change the young man, the young woman that you are right now. Your parents, or your guardians, whoever will see it. They'll see it. And the hope is, man, that God would use you as a light in the darkness of your own home. That God can use you as an agent, as a minister of reconciliation to bring peace to your home, to bring salvation to your family. Man, and, and the Bible talks to wives at one point. Uh, it, the Bible talks to wives who are married to unbelieving, uh, an unbelieving husband. And it makes such a great point that I think is applicable to us, that we can apply it. Is that, I mean, it says, sure, share the truth. We're all called to do that. But it says, man, love them, serve them, serve them, serve them. You may win them without even saying a word. And for us, if you'll obey and honor your parents, right? Like, don't fly off the handle when they say, take out the trash. In fact, beat them to the punch. Have the trash out. Have your room clean. Help with the dishes. Get the yard done before anybody else has to do it, even if it's not your job, not your responsibility. Love them. Serve them. 
go out of your way. When they're ugly and mean to you and they say painful things to you, don't retaliate. You don't have to. Why? Because Jesus loves you. He loves you. He accepts you. He's given you a new identity. He'll set you free. Man, the most freeing thing, the reason why I have a relationship with my dad today is because I was set free from the, the, his, my expectations for him to be a, a, the kind of dad that I thought I should have. I had expectations, man, that he would <laughs> protect the family, love the family, provide for the family, teach me what it is to be a man, walk me through difficult seasons of life. And I didn't have that. But what I have in Jesus, listen to me, what I have in Jesus is so much better that it freed me. That those failed expectations no longer bound me. They were no longer, and no longer like gave me a reason to be angry at him. It changed my perspective towards my dad where I saw him through the lens of the gospel that this is a man that needs Jesus. This is a man that needs somebody to serve him and love him and tell him about Jesus. And it totally set me free from being affected by his failures anymore. I wasn't bound by his failures. It's free to love him in Jesus. It totally changed our relationship. And if you'll be satisfied in who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ, it'll free you just to love and serve your family and to be able to see Him through grace and mercy that maybe the, all the brokenness, all the pain, everything going on in your home, who knows how far back that goes? Who knows how far back that goes? Man, and you can be the agent in your family to stop it and to start a new legacy, a legacy of godliness. So I talked about the Word of God, prayer. Man, we have got the Spirit of God. The Bible says we, we have everything we need for life and godliness. How can, you, how can you live this out, what I'm telling you? The Spirit of God. The Spirit, listen to me. <laughs> the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you if you're a Christian. Man, you can persevere. You can stay faithful. You can be steadfast through the difficult circumstance of this trial. You can, you can remember that this trial that you're going through called your home, your family, it's got eternal purpose. God's using it. Y'all remember James in the Bible? James, remember him? Half-brother of Jesus. He, he, he starts his letter like this. He says, man, brothers, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you face various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or steadfastness or maturity. But let steadfastness have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. And he's saying this, James is saying this, in this life, there'll be trials. And for some of you right now, you think, man, if I can just get out of this home Whatever is next, get to college, move out on my own. Everything will be fine. No more trials are coming. More trials are coming. More difficult circumstances are coming. More temptations, more suffering. That's life. We live in a broken world. And what James is saying is count that joy because what the God of the universe does is as you face those with his wisdom and his strength, faith and trust in Jesus, he uses those to grow you. You mature you become more and more the person that God created you to be. That we can have the same eternal perspective of our life that He has. So by prayer, by the Word, by His Spirit, by the church, the church, 
This is huge. This is how you can grow. This is how you can stay faithful. The church. God has given us a family. It's called the, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the family of God. This is huge. Man, if you come out of a broken home, a dysfunctional home, your blueprint on what it means to be a woman or a man is all jacked up, look to the church, study scripture, memorize scripture, pray, the spirit of God lives in you, and look to the church. For real. This is huge for me. I came here to work at Snowbird when I was 18 years old. Um, that's not true. I was saved when I was 18. I came to work here when I was 21. Amen. I, I came here, and right away, I mean, I, I, was, I was just, what drew me to come back summer after summer and eventually moved here was just when people were really doing this thing called Christianity, really pursuing the Lord. And what I saw early on is I saw Brody and his wife, Little, and I was impressed with how they acted, how he talked to her, and how she talked to him how they made decisions and how they were raising their kids and how they did Bible study at night. And at first I was just, I was just drawn to it, but then it clicked like, this is how it's done. This is what a godly husband and father looks like. And so I started being intentional and paying attention. Watching, observing, not like through binoculars, through a window, right? Not like that, but like just going over to their house, sitting around the fire with them. Man, and what happened is God used his word and his prayer and his spirit and the church to totally change my blueprint. Totally change it. And there was so long I didn't want to be married. I didn't want to be married. I didn't want to have a family because I was so afraid to repeat the sins of my father. Man, I, I love being married. I love my kids. I, I, mean, I, love, my, I love both my wives. It's awesome. <laughs> Marriage is so good. Did it twice. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, and I love my wife. I love being married. I love being a husband and father. Man, this is, is good. Man, that blueprint can be rewritten. But look to the church. Man, look for godly couples. For some of you, it'll be a friend's parent instead of parents. You got a friend with godly parents? Man, be over in their home and pay attention. Pay attention. Ask God to allow you to learn from that. And maybe you don't have friends that have godly parents, look for people in your church. Maybe it's your youth pastor and his wife and say, hey man, can, can I come over and just hang out some? And it's, maybe it's an older couple. And you just ask, invite yourself over. Seek out that discipleship. And if they say no, then they're not who you thought they were and go to the next family. But they're in the church. That's what the church is. That's what the church really does. So get in their home, right? See how it's done. God will use that in your life to rewrite your blueprint and you, he'll start a new legacy with you. Let me end by saying this. One, I said, I talked to believers. If you're not a Christian, and if you're not a child of God, then please, please repent. Please trust in Christ, man, that, that he did. Like, life is broken. This world is broken. Sin, our rebellion against God from the beginning brought sin and death, and that brought corruption to all of life, all of the world. I mean, even in this Disneyland of a nation called America, you, we see the brokenness now more than ever, right? And Jesus came ultimately to save us from the eternal consequences of that sin, to give us new life, to give us hope. Please don't reject that. There's no other hope. Don't reject it. And I'll say this to, I said some of you maybe are in a violent home, an abusive home, physically, sexually. I'll say this, man, that, 
that, that, that is a game changer. And, and there's people in this room that want to walk through that with you to get you help, that those are crimes that should not be happening to you, should not be happening to your mom or to your brothers and sisters. I mean, come get help. Come talk to us and tell us what's going on there. I mean, that, 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 is, that is big, heavy stuff, and we want to be able to help you with that. So come talk to me, talk to our staff, talk to the leaders that brought you. We want to, we want to walk through that with you. I mean, that's, that's bad stuff, and I hate it, and I'm sorry we want to be able to help. So don't keep that to yourself. Listen, love you guys. And uh, let me do this. Let me pray for us, and then uh, we can go get ready for lunch. Lord Jesus, love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. Thank you that you will transform our lives, that you'll give us new identity, new purpose, eternal purpose. Thank you that you use all the painful stuff in life for your glory and for our good. And I pray that you give us all the ability to see that and trust that and hold fast to that promise, to look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, I pray that you give everyone an awesome day, keep everyone safe, traveling and at wreck, that everyone would be safe and healthy today, and that we'd come back in here this evening to worship you because you are worthy of all praise and glory. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, guys.